Today on Karina and Kirsten Get to Work, we're talking about the future of work. The future. The future workplace. Super exciting. Seriously. <laughs> it's like the Jetsons. Exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Welcome to the future. No, 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 no. Welcome to Karina and Kirsten Get to Work. <laughs> I'm Kirsten Barron. And I'm Karina Hoyer. And we are so glad that you are here today to talk with us, seriously, about the future and hopefully find your way to ease, meaning, and joy in the workplace because that's what we're about. That's what we're here for. Ease, meaning, and joy. That's what we want. Women at work. There you have it. Thanks for joining us. And this is a really, seriously, we're kind of joking about the future and the Jetsons and all that stuff, but I am so jazzed about this topic. And I was actually late to get to Karina's for the recording. What? I was late to get here. What? <laughs> that Kirsten? seems so weird. So weird. She was late because I was all juiced up with Mr. Bryn about the topic and having to tell him all about it. He could have just listened, but no. Anyway, we're here. We're recording from the land of the Kosei's people, and we're grateful to be here. And again, thanks for joining us. Yeah. And Karina, you're having a tough time <laughs> as we start out. I mean, I was a little late, but you're having a bit of a time over there. Oh my God. I don't even know. It is funny. Like we're here with all of these contraptions around us and, and, you know, things to stay hydrated and I got to be able to see and my notes over here and my microphone and whatnot. And none of it is working. I have my headphone. I couldn't get my headphones to work. Couldn't get my glasses to work. The little piece was backwards. <laughs> the lens on our glasses was out. It was quite the scene. Actually, it made me feel so good because it was me. That's usually me. <laughs> it's not. It is. You love to portray yourself as it's all. so true. As People all know that. Oh my God, no. Have you ever, I remind myself sometimes of like a Woody Allen film. Just like everything <laughs> is just like slightly off and it's all so bizarre and awkward. That is the life I live. And it's funny because I hope that's not a precursor to this show. Because we have to do this I hope one I justice. keep my shit together yes, for the next 35, together, 40 minutes. Karina. Before we jump into the topic, I want to remind the listener uh, to do one thing right now. I know it's totally off the subject, KB, but I'm telling all my clients, it's springtime. You got to start getting vacations on the calendar. Mm -hmm. I know this seems such a good reminder. Yeah. Specifically call out to Debbie, Debbie, oh. who works with me, get your vacations on the calendar. Yeah, get them on the calendar. <laughs> we did a great episode a while ago about the is importance. It, is it inappropriate that I am managing from the podcast? Yeah, it is inappropriate. <laughs> and I meant to talk to you about that. <laughs> Can you put a nix on that, please? No, but the, 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 um, Benefits of a vacation start well before you leave on your trip, and they stick with you after, as we found um, when we were recording that episode about vacations, I don't know, probably about a year ago. Mm -hmm. But please, please, friends, do it. Just go a couple of weekends, a couple of long weekends, and maybe an extended gig if you can. Uh, make it happen. I personally am going to try to vacation as much as I possibly can. That's my jam. I think it's great. I'm doing very good on that, by the way. Yeah. I'm just so, I'm like a wanderer. I'm so good on this right now. And it doesn't have to be a jet set, whatever. No. It can even just be the three-day weekend, you know, camping trip or even, you know, just, just even modest things give us um, emotional and psychological benefits. I agree. Yeah? Thank you, Karina. Do you want to say anything about your jet set before we no, get going? No, no, no. Just that it, I just... I love vacations. Yeah. I love I love being away. I don't know if it was because I moved so much as a kid, but I just love going. 
Yeah. I love just the car. I love driving. I love a, I mean, I love a plane. I love it all. The mindfulness of it. I love the new experiences. I, I love just like to even see it on my calendar. Oh, that's right. Exactly. That's part of okay, it. Okay. So vacations. So Done. Go get your vacations planned. Now let's get back to business because we have a lot to cover today. We do. And this is, as I said, going to be such a fun, fantastic and great topic. So let's start out. Bain and Company put together a report. It's called The Future of Work, More Human, Not Less. And it's based on surveys of 20,000 workers all across the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. India, Nigeria, the U.S., France, Germany, everywhere. Lots of good information for them. Yeah. By the way, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt. Interrupt me. This study was so interesting to read because not only did they do what you just said, the number of people that they surveyed represents about 65% of the global workforce. And what they really started out with is by saying, and maybe this is what you were talking about, hey, the way we work is changing. Mm -hmm. It's pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had the pandemic. Our worlds have been turned upside down in terms of work and everything else. Um, The gig economy still rises, whether you're Uber eating or, you know, whatever it is you happen to be doing. There's more automation all the time. Our workplaces have become so amazingly and crazily, is that a word, crazily? Mm, Sure. We're making it one? Yeah. Flexible in the last two and a half or three years. And those things are driving big changes in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Big changes. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about the big changes that they identified Mm -hmm. and also kind of explore these changes from both the perspective of business owner or leaders and also workers. This really is a hundred thousand foot view. It's the bird's eye view of what's happening, which I think really, I know it helps me personally see my place in the whole thing. Right. And to understand like how everything around me is working and moving. Yeah. Yeah. I think it also, when we start to uh, talk about this, we'll see that it validates our own experiences and Mm -hmm. those of the people around us. In fact, you know, after having read this report several times, I know I've had multiple conversations with clients and friends. And like you said this morning with Steve, you know, it's interesting stuff and it validates kind of what we know in our heart to be true or things that we were experiencing or seeing. That's exactly how I felt, too. Exactly. Because, you know, I've been in this big shtick where I'm like, you know, management's always been in control of labor and management has always had more power and leverage than labor. Mm -hmm. There's a big shift out there Mm -hmm. and it is shifting to labor. I've been watching it. And this really validates so many conversations that I've had with clients and friends. Like it just felt like aha, this is it all come together. Yeah. And I think in addition to validating our experiences, For me, it also helps see what is coming. I mean, I Mm -hmm. have said so many times to clients, to friends, you know, regardless of what position you're in, you are better at your job when you can see around the corner. You are better at your job when you whether you're a leader or a worker or whatever you are, it's all better. Yeah. When you can understand what's coming. Mm-hmm. And recognize how adjusts and shifts now, adjustments and shifts now are going to play out in the future for yourself personally, professionally, and for your workplace. And so, all really great stuff. And we found this 
um, study because I did a Google search, just like current research on work. And this is new. Like this just came out. This is t- this information takes into account really pandemic experiences. Mm-hmm. So yeah. ready to check it out. OK, so here are the five big takeaways from the report, right, from their surveys, mm-hmm. from their interviews with folks. They are one motivations for work are changing. Yeah. What people want out of their jobs is changing. And we've had lots of conversations about the generations and about um, balance that really validate what they found as well. Yeah. Right. That's what we're seeing, too. Well, so we'll talk a little bit more about each of these five themes. Mm -hmm. What's the next one? Beliefs in what makes a good job are changing. Yeah. Yes. This is interesting, too. I'm really looking forward to talking more about that, like because truly recognizing what makes a good job that's key. Not, it's it's yeah, key. It's not the same as it was 30 years ago. Automation. Yep. It's, it's changing. Changing the way we work and live in the world. Yeah. And interestingly, they one of the they say automation is rehumanizing. Okay, work. that's my only beef with the thing. I that's my only beef with the study and the report, which is rehumanizing, because I want to say that I don't think that work has ever been humanized first Mm -hmm. like at least since the industrial revolution let me say that and what's interesting to me is though that automation i frequently think of as dehumanizing work and they're saying it's re or humanizing because it it relieves people of tasks and um, duties that are hard or unsatisfactory or that nobody wants to do i get that that's their point yeah i just found that to be surprising the other two themes that they discovered is not are no surprise one technology is really blurring the boundaries between work and home Mm -hmm. and you know we're going to talk more about that and then finally that younger generations are just increasingly overwhelmed which we also know Mm -hmm. and now we have five generations in the workforce Mm -hmm. so recognizing that the experiences of the people around you is are significantly different mm-hmm. uh, than perhaps the you know your experience. So, do you want to start uh, with motivations and how motivations for work are changing? Yes, I think that's a great place to start because um, you said something very interesting when we were preparing. Huh? What? <laughs> <laughs> what me? What you said something very interesting when we were preparing for this. You said, I have a client who keeps raising the salary yes. for this position, trying to attract yep. applicants unsuccessful. Yeah. And you were like, I'm pulling my hair out because it's nothing to do yes. with the jo- with the, with the salary and everything to do with the job and the culture. Yeah. Which I thought was, oh, that's super interesting. Yeah. It, it is true. And, you know, why people want to come to a job mm-hmm. is, is yes, they want to have a salary without question. In fact, but but not, that is not the driving That's, force. And we know this from other research that we've done. Like, so once you get to a certain point in salary, mm-hmm. there's diminishing returns after that. Yeah. It doesn't buy you the kind of job satisfaction that management thinks it does. That's right. And so, yeah, you have to pay people a fair wage, but only about 22% of workers globally rank compensation as the thing that matters most to Mm -hmm. them. There's all of these other things that matter even more. 
um, whether or not they have enough time to do their leisure activities, for instance. What are their social connections at work? How how are their relationships at work? Are they challenged? Do they have a sense of purpose in their work? Do they feel valued? All of that. Do they feel like they can grow? Yep. All of that is so much more important now. And I think it's interesting because not only did this one, I think everyone is going salary, 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 just to try to attract people. And you may attract somebody with that, but you're not going to keep them. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is um, good learning, not only for people who are in leadership positions, but people who are job seekers. So I also have clients who are sort of mid-career and try to identify what's next. And I caution them, don't just look at the pay. Right. Do not just look at the pay. You got to think about what are the motivations for changing? What are your motivations yeah, for why changing? Why are you looking for work? What do you want out of that right. job in addition to pay? And how do we start to measure potential jobs or current jobs um, against those needs? As opposed to just money. What I found, I loved in the report, and this is the kind of the international perspective as well, that as a country's gross national product grows as their economy becomes more robust, people work less, mm -hmm. which I thought was really interesting. Mm -hmm. And um, in prior decades, eras of U.S. work, um, lower paid workers have worked more hours than higher paid workers, which kind of makes sense, right? That trend has now changed. So now, lower paid workers are actually working less hours than higher paid workers, which I find also interesting. It's like, yeah, it's it a just, little bit of like the rich are getting richer. It's kind of like that. And I also just think it's about shifting values and people are not so much willing to spend a lot of time in work that they don't find meaningful and rewarding. Right. And that pays less. And that pays less. I, We're like, I'm not going to do 50 hours a week. I'm just going to do my 40 and be done. Yeah. My time. Yeah. My time is hard. It's hard mm -hmm. to buy my time mm -hmm. for $17 an hour. for or, or for just really unsatisfying work. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And before we leave this topic, I also want to say, I know you touched on the um, need for social connection and a sense of higher purpose mm -hmm. in the workplace. And we really are seeing that that is something that those two things are, are things that motivate people to work. And it's primarily because, according to the studies, that we're ha we have less and less social connection and higher purpose in our private lives. Right. Those institutions are falling away. That's right. We're, we're not... We're not as religious as we used to. We're not doing as many, you know, clubs and volunteer activities, et cetera, especially during COVID. Mm -hmm. So you kind of had family and work and work had to, you know, what does that touch a lot of bases, mm -hmm. cover a lot of bases, uh -huh. cover a lot of bases. Yep. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I just found that fascinating. And, and again, as the worker and the workplace considers motivations, you have to. You have to start, we all have to start tending to this if A, we're going to have ease, meaning, and joy mm -hmm. in our own lives, and B, if we're going to attract and retain employees. And I, I love this first one because it really does affirm everything I think about work. It is not just about the blank per hour, right? Yeah. And this really validates that is that's why we're talking about ease, meaning, and joy because it should be more than just a paycheck. That's right. Right? That's right. So the next thing that the survey revealed that's talked about in the report is that beliefs about what makes a good job are diverging. Mm -hmm. So individuals have 
changed in the relative importance that they place on certain aspects of their job. Yeah, kind of like we were just saying, it's changing. You need more social connection and exactly. purpose. So what they determined, what Bain and Company determined is there's really 10, they call them dimensions. I think facets is a better word, whatever, dimensions. Okay, so what are people looking for in their job? Identity, mm-hmm. which is called work centricity. They're looking for money, their financial orientation. How much money do they need? How does it impact their happiness? The third one was future orientation. Am I interested in investing in the future? Am I living for today? Folks are also folks also are concerned about status. Does this job give me status? Mm-hmm. Or do I care about status? Do I care about at all? Mm-hmm. Risk tolerance. Am I willing to take risks to improve my life? Am I willing to go to work for a startup? Yeah. Am I, you know, whatever. Variety. Do I like change or predictability? Yeah. Autonomy. How much do I care about controlling my own work? Camaraderie. That's that social thing that we know is important. Mastery. How much satisfaction do I get from really becoming a master at my work? And self-transcendence is how important is it to me to make a difference? So these 10 things are the things that we're all looking for in our jobs. But what the study found is people vary widely in these 10 things. We're all so very different. Yeah. And so we value all of these things relative to one another differently. Mm-hmm. Some people may want a ton of variety. Some may want, you know, to just master one thing. Some people may need some camaraderie. Others may want autonomy. When they were looking at this information, they really were trying to determine what does the average worker want mm-hmm. from their job. Mm-hmm. And what they concluded was you can't. I loved that. You cannot Which actually. Is so it's so affirms my yes. belief. Yeah. Thinking in the, a quote, a direct quote is thinking about what the average worker wants from a job mo- no longer makes sense in mm-hmm. the modern economy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Instead, we need to think about work from the standpoint of the individual. What does each individual person need, value, care about, etc.? And the implications of this, again, for the person who's, you know, crafting the job description or figuring out how to have satisfaction uh, in their workforce, this is a point, this is an interesting point. But also as the individual who's asking themselves, what jobs are mm-hmm. right for me? Mm-hmm. Where, where do I find that ease, mm-hmm. meaning, and joy? Recognizing that there are these 10 different facets that are going to influence how you perceive your work. The researchers went on to kind of take the way that people answered the um, questions about the relative importance of those 10 things and split people into six different archetypes about uh, of workers. Mm -hmm. So they kind of did the work for us to say, well, if you care about these things and not these, you're a blah, blah, blah. Right. Yes. Do you want to talk a little bit more about those two? I found it fascinating personally, because and with all personality kind of quizzes, you have to start dissecting your own self and say, well, wait, which one am I? Oh, I did it. There's a, there's a, there's a little uh, quiz you can take when you click onto the study. And I was like, oh, I'm this and that. And I turned out to be something entirely different. So I don't know if it's me or this or the test. I'm going to say it's the test, whatever. Didn't we say high achieving women have self-clarity? I, uh, it's, I'm like, something uh, is a divergent for me here. Yeah, for it's me, totally divergent. I kind of had the same time. I was like, oh, maybe self-clarity is not the one thing that I have. <laughs> Harkening back to the previous episode. Anyway, so the the six different um, uh, 
archetypes, archetypes mm-hmm. that they identified begin with operators, which really, fi- and I'm going to move kind of quickly through these because this is so much information. You can find it in the show notes. Take the quiz yourself. Um, but operators find meaning and self-worth primarily outside of their jobs. They just plug in. They're, I feel like my husband's an operator. He loves parameters. He likes, you know, he's a team minded. This archetype is he wants to have good colleagues. You know, he's a team player. And then he wants to leave. And then he wants to go home and put away. Mm-hmm. Givers find meaning in work that directly improves the lives of others. We frequently find caregiving professions, mm-hmm. you know, hence the name givers. Um, you know. Less motivated by money. Yep. Really motivated by a strong sense of value in what they're accomplishing for others and um, strong team. Yeah. Players. Yeah. They're selfless at their best, helping to build trust in every organization um, that they work in. Um, The third one is um, artisans, which seek out work that fascinates or inspires them. And they're motivated by mastery. Yeah. 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 They really want to Mm -hmm. master their craft. Yeah. Uh, They like being valued for their expertise. I love this. Less importance on their, um, on on camaraderie. Less importance on camaraderie. <laughs> huh. They're more loners. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, the fifth, fourth is explorers who value freedom and experiences. I think my kid, Spencer, is an explorer. Lives in the present, seeks out careers that provide high de- a high degree of variety. They don't really rely on their jobs for their identity. No. Nope. In fact, most of their stuff is taking place outside of the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. Most of their... Most of the value they get out of life is outside of the workplace. Um, And then the final two are strivers and pioneers. So strivers have a strong desire to make something of themselves. You can think of it. They're the people who are kind of constantly moving up the ladder, building. These These are the people who care about social status. Yep. Achievement money, yep. all of those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then pioneers are kind of on a mission to change the world. So they've got strong views on the way things should be. And then they're, they're uh, control people. They're controlling. Although, but they're also the most risk tolerant and future oriented. Um, and, and this was weird for me because when I read this and we were working on this, I was like, oh, I'm a, I'm part giver, part artisan. That's what I am. And when I took the test, I came out to be a pioneer. Mm-hmm. I can see that, though. I was like, I don't know. Yeah. They were all pretty close. I will say that. Yeah. All pretty close. I think they were interesting. Too. But what they what this information really points to is that what we value in work, the way we approach it, the way we think about it, the jobs that we are inherently good at um, or want to continue to, you know, or commit our lives to really depend on which archetype you're at. And that's not necessarily new information, right? You you could say the same thing, I think, of a Myers-Briggs test or the Strengths Finder, et cetera, yes. et cetera. But the one point that they made that I hadn't really thought of, which was that frequently the people who are in positions of power are one archetype mm-hmm. and they're making decisions about workplace culture and what, you know, uh, and policies and workflow and et cetera that are based frequently on their own Without archetype. an understanding of the other archetypes and the way people function in the yes. workplace. And yeah. so this is why this is a significant shift that, that in the workforce moving forward is that people expect and in some cases, you know, are looking for work that meets them where they're at. Mm-hmm. And so if you're one of the 25% of U.S. executives who's a pioneer, Kirsten, 
your workforce is likely only about 9% mm-hmm. pioneers. So you have to be willing the and able. The way I approach the workplace yeah. is only helpful to 9% of the people. That's right. Which is, I feel like that has, you know, when we talked about this episode, I said to you, oh my gosh, it's like, I feel like I'm on the top of a wave mm-hmm. and I'm looking back at everything that's happened over the 30 years I've been in the workplace and I'm looking forward as to what's going to happen. And I have to say, this has been over the last three to five years, my biggest learning. Mm -hmm. It is not, there's so much else out there, right? My experience in the world and the way that I learned came up through my work. It's so different now. It, what I, my past is not super helpful for the future. Right. Right. And that's, I mean, I think when this, when I read this, it just screamed at me. Yeah. I was like, yes, that's exactly right. And that's how it feels, right? <laughs> it it, that's how it feels. Yes. And it doesn't it feel like, I mean, this is just me having my moment right now. So I apologize, but I just have a little moment. <laughs> but when you see something and you can feel it. And then you find somebody that says, oh, we've spent a year studying this. And we've talked to so many people. It's just like, whew, okay. Mm-hmm. Just feels so affirming. Yeah. I'm going to sit in my affirmation right now. Yeah. You go, do you do that? I want to talk about how automation is rehumanizing or humanizing work. Cause that's the third thing that came out of this, right? Mm-hmm. That not only do people's attitudes about their work and the things they need from work and what they value are changing, we're also seeing that the workplace itself is changing and the work that we're doing is changing so because quickly of automation. Too. It's changing so, so quickly. quickly. That's right. So obviously, um, you know, we're seeing tech, tech and automation, oops, we're seeing tech and automation shift like crazy, but we're also seeing, you know, which means we have to continue to learn and relearn and shift and change. Do you remember the information that you pulled from the Department of Labor about the number of women in clerical jobs and how it has decreased over the last 50 years. No, I don't remember so that. So there was a great stat that you had from the Department of Labor, like in 1940, there was like 80% of women were in clerical positions. Mm. And now it's like 15%. Well, that is this. Automation. automation in the workplace. We have word processing. We have spell check. We have all of these things. We don't have, quote unquote, secretaries anymore. Yeah. Nobody is taking dictation. No one's at a switchboard. No. Sending your no. telephone so, call. So we have seen how that's changed. And as we look forward, there's going to be even more of that. Yeah. I think the big challenge that they're flagging is that recognizing, you know, the automation may be coming for the job that you're currently doing. And so retraining and retooling Mm -hmm. not only your own skill set, but this workforce that needs to continue to be, you know, productive. Mm -hmm. um, That's the big challenge, recognizing kind of where automation is is aiming us. And, you know, obviously the Internet is a big um, driver. Driver. E-commerce is a big driver. Um, But even... um, you know, like automated tasks on the on a on the daily. We're doing there are a lot of things that we do from the grocery store to the gas pump to the click and you know ship stuff that we're doing online that we never talk to people. Yeah, it all just happens behind the scenes. Not that there aren't people there. Yeah, but no, I completely agree. No, it's even you know the like enter your uh, you know whatever your I think about a call center. Even just a call center, how it used to be, I'm sure a million people answering the phone. And with automation, I enter all my stuff 
I, you know, I, I uh, don't have to talk to the pharmacist to refill my prescription. Mm -hmm. I don't have to talk to the phone person to like change my plan. It's really interesting. And, and to see that on a global scale, yeah, that's a lot. Those are, that's a lot of people. And I feel like my reflection on this piece is that that's not something to be afraid of. Mm -hmm. Like, don't be afraid of a job just because technology may change it because you can do something else later. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the point here is that people are going to have to move and being able to move is going to be a really big asset. Yeah. A big advantage. And being comfortable with moving. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's move into technology change has blurred the boundaries of the firm. Yeah. And this is not really so much this. It's when I first realized, I was like, is this just about automation? No, no, it's not. It's really about the fact and we've experienced this during the pandemic that there are no boundaries between work and home anymore. Mm -hmm. Like who goes to who drives to work at nine o'clock and comes home at five? No, it's rare. And in fact, this study took a look at the amount of time Americans spent working from home and pre-pandemic. It went from five percent pre-pandemic to 60 percent of work was conducted at home in 2020. So, you know, some workers are going back to the office, but really, you know, we know the hybrid workforce, the hybrid workplace it is here, is to, here stay. to stay. Yeah. And you know what's great about it is I'm hearing okay, managers used to be so negative about remote work because they didn't trust their workers to work. Yeah. Oh, they're not going to work. Okay. They didn't have a choice. They had to send people home. It turns out people do work at home. Mm -hmm. Surprise. Yeah. Um, but I think that now managers I talk to love hybrid work because they're like, oh, I have these introverts who are so much more productive at home because, you know, they don't have to deal with all the office stuff and can just get their work done. I've got people at home that I had to bring back in because they need a lot of structure. And I just love it. It's such an example of, yes, you need to meet the needs of your workforce where they are. Yeah, that's One right. One size is not fit all. That's right. And at the same time, this blurring of the work from yeah. home is a, it's a double-edged sword, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, the introvert can be more productive. And in fact, we're seeing productivity in some cases jump when people work from home. But also, you know, if you've got a job that requires some collaboration and some camaraderie, or you're, you yourself are an archetype that really values those connections, then the work at home scenario isn't necessarily always working for you. The interesting thing about what they found in this study, though, you know, in addition to what we've all been reading about hybrid workforce, is that really the um, blurred lines, these blurred boundaries mm -hmm. between work and home are the thing to be to, to, to tend to. How, are you working more or less than normal or than you, you know, than you're being paid for? Is it always on your mind? Are you getting a break or can you remove yourself from it? Sometimes having two things to which you're responsible to is very stressful. Like I find sometimes working from home to be very stressful because there's other things happening that require my attention. Now, that's not always the case, mm -hmm. but I think that's the point here. It's like, are, do you always feel like you are on, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. What are the expectations that are being set around communication, about, about responsiveness, even about data storage? I was talking to somebody recently who has a almost 100% remote workforce and I asked them, can people do people store files on their personal computer? Like what happens when somebody leaves? How do you even get all the company assets? I'm assuming back? it's on a cloud. No. <gasps> no, it's not. In oh, a lot, that just took my breath away. Yeah. In a lot of cases, people aren't thinking that this is here to stay. And it is. And we need to make sure that those blurry lines between home and work are not putting you as the worker in some sort of risk situation or the employee mm -hmm. or employer. Mm -hmm. 
Um, this is a side note, though, but they did talk about this or write about this in this section that people really do like working from home if it cuts down on their commute. So according to a UK time use survey, commuting is one of the ways that people least enjoy spending their time, scoring lower even than domestic chores. The only other thing that scored lower than commuting was actually looking for a job. I love this so much. It's like, I don't think that people recognize, some people do, I know, but how impactful commuting is. Yeah, it sucks. It's very bad. It's terrible. It's very bad. Yeah. So, and people click, would rather clean their toilets. People would rather clean their <laughs> toilets than have to commute. And so, so I just cracked myself up. In, with that. Incentivizing coming to the office if that is necessary is going to be an important one. And people like givers. If you're the giver archetype, you want to go back to the office, but maybe artisans and pioneers, not so much. So, it's interesting to also think about how this, these blurred lines overlay with the um, type of people you have in your workforce, the things that motivate them to work or you to work, mm -hmm. etc. Mm -hmm. The final thing they said is that our younger workers are having a, an experience that is kind of really unique to them. I love the way they phrased this. What they found, one of the five kind of themes they found was that younger workers are increasingly overwhelmed. And I loved the use of the word overwhelmed. Why? Because it was so open. Mm. Like it's not pathological. Mm. It's not they're depressed, they're this, they're that. It's like they're experiencing, which makes total sense. Yeah. Right? Because things are in shift, right? Mm -hmm. They've done a lot of big things in their life through COVID potentially, you know, which is the, all the times that we're sitting in our houses feeling good. I mean, that's developmentally inappropriate for a younger worker. Yeah, They should be out. They should be doing, they should be socializing. So their social isolation that they've experienced, their higher levels of anxiety disorders, and just this kind of collective trauma, this uncertainty about the future. These are folks who the first time have not been able to say affirmatively that they believe they will do better than their parents. Yeah. In fact, they have doubts about that. Yeah. They have doubts about whether they're going to be able to buy a house. They worry about slowing economic growth. They worry about their financial stability. Um, and I think these are people who tend to care deeply about the world, about the environment, about social justice. And that's a heavy, heavy burden to carry at this moment that's in time. That's right. And they also see the world as a world, right? They, mm -hmm. have a, they have a global perspective. And so not only are they seeing the problems in their own community, they're seeing, it on, they're seeing a, a worldwide view since day, since get-go, since the get-go. Since... <laughs> God dang it. Did we say at the beginning of this episode that I was a shit show? No. Because if my performance no. today is... No, you're doing great, I just friend. need to apologize no, you're to just everyone. Fine. No, you're making it. You're good. You're Maybe fine. Maybe I need some food. Here's what I want to say, though. They asked workers across Western markets to share their biggest concerns in the next five to 10 years. And 61% of respondents who are under 35 said that financial issues and job security um, were kind of their big issues, where only 40% of people over 35 cited those same concerns. Mm -hmm. And so, again, this represents a significant change. This a very specific set of concerns for 
workers under 35. And by the way, this is really, these folks are really the future of the workforce, yes, right? Yes. And so, so here we get to the point. So what? Right. So what do we, what do, what's the takeaway from all of this information? And here's where my heart just sings. Mm-hmm. It is about, and I'm not, they use the word rehumanizing the workforce. We've been over that. I want to say again, this is about humanizing. What does it mean if you're a business leader? What does it mean if you're a worker when we are humanizing the workforce? Because we need to, because the trends would suggest this is them. This is how to meet the workforce where Mm -hmm. they are at. Mm -hmm. You, we need to humanize work. Mm -hmm. And so there's the, according to these f- study, this study, you know, they're saying businesses, if you're going to be stay ahead in a competitive market, you got to know this is coming, right? You have to know this coming and you have to start taking steps now. It's the, you know, l- don't just list salary, l- recognize that there are additional benefits that people care about and are paying attention to. And what kind of a culture are you creating in your workplace that people know about on Glassdoor and Indeed and wherever? You know, you make a couple of phone calls and do a little Google search and you can find out a lot about a firm. That's right. Also, it's signals that, you know, people are coming to you. The workplace is changing so much that we cannot expect of ourselves or of our colleagues that, that someone's going to come to the job having already already be steeped in the work because the work and the tools that we're using and the technology that we're using and the workplace um, expectations are shifting so much. So we also need to be dedicated at, to, to learning and teaching and growing our workforce and being open to that as individuals. The study calls this the talent taker to the talent maker. Yeah. And I certainly have felt that. I've wanted people to come to the law firm and be trained for a job that can just dial them in and off they go. That is not the case. It's like, I think I have found there is way more value in finding kind of the right person Mm -hmm. with the right orientation and then being able to teach and train in a job. Yeah. The day that I, I mean, the days that I'm going to just you know, plug in somebody into a role, those are over. Yeah. Yeah. They actually say, you know, leaders need to stop managing workers like machines, Kirsten, and start, Thank you. Yes. <laughs> start supporting that personal capacity and mm-hmm. their career growth. Recognizing also, and they don't, they don't really touch on this, but we know from other research, people are changing jobs so much well, more. We know that 25% frequently. have changed just during the great resignation. Yeah. Right? 25% of the workforce mm-hmm. has changed jobs in the, in the last couple of years. And chances are they did not go from one job where they knew everything to another job where they right. knew everything. Right. It's this kind of, they call it the great reskilling. Yes. And and I think that's important. And we're going to have to continue to be invested in that. If we're going to have this continued blurred line between work and home, if we're going to have, you know, tech changing our workplace reality, you know, so much. Automation Automation. Happening. If we're going to have, you know, all of these different sets of, of um things that people value or think are important all being honored at the same time we do have i mean that's just it this is the future Mm -hmm. start budgeting for (laughs) learning and development programs now um but what does that mean for the worker like what does this really truly mean for me too that's kind of curious so i feel like what it means for the worker is and i said this earlier and i'm just going to repeat it because i think it's i think it's important i think we need to as workers have the expectation that we will change jobs our jobs will change we will have to learn new things i've certainly experienced that just even as a lawyer in the last 5 years and how i do my work 
Um, and I think that's going to be true for everybody. Maybe not even just how you do your work, but the kind of work you do. Yeah. And not to be afraid of that. Oh, it's normal. We're going to have to learn how to do something new. Right. My job might go away. I have to figure out how to do something else. That's right. And there's such a low unemployment rate right now. And I think that's the trend is, I mean, cross fingers, but folks are going to be able to find new jobs if they're willing to do, if they're willing to do something new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If they're willing, and, and employers have to be willing to train. That's right. I think the other thing is to recognize your archetype and either seek out work or seek out tasks mm. that really sort of get you what you want. And we talked about this when we were digging into values and really trying to understand, you know, we've, you know, I think that's part of our journey too, is trying to encourage ourselves and our listeners to know themselves, know themselves really well, mm -hmm. and then seek out the things that you know are going to make you happy. Mm -hmm. And hopefully workplaces are going to be more and more inclined to do that. To accommodate, to that, accommodate that. And that. to really support and assist folks. So the next so what that came out of this report, which I really love, which really confirms a lot of the work that you and I have been doing, is growth mindset. Yeah, the growth mindset is particularly important in the current environment. Employers have to believe and workers have to believe that change is possible, creating something different is possible, and even that who we are can change over time. Yeah, yeah. And so I just love it that because I'm a great believer in the growth mindset. And when I read this and I saw it again, Kirsten is being affirmed. Yes. Basically, yes. Kirsten wrote this report. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, this growth mindset. I mean, Jesus, we, I feel like we do. We hammer on this a lot. Mm -hmm. It's seeing, you know, workplaces and individuals who see challenges as opportunities rather than a referendum on who, you know, who your value in the in the world, being willing to learn to act, actively seek out feedback and to change. And in fact, you know, one of my takeaways was, yes, a growth mindset, absolutely. And specifically a growth mindset around tech. If you are not seeking out opportunities to engage and re-engage and learn and change and, and build your understanding of, of the technology that is available to you, you will rapidly be left behind. There is no question about it. Because nobody can force your mindset. No. Nobody can force you to have a growth mindset. So that's another thing. What can workers do? What can employees do? What can we do? We can yeah. cultivate our own growth mindset. Yeah. And I'm saying start growing your your mindset mm -hmm. about tech. Mm -hmm. It's here to stay. It's here to stay. Yeah, if you as if you if, as if there was a question about that. Well, some people actually. Yes. Um, also, you know, there's a lot of information in here about how workplaces need to tailor jobs to support an individual purpose. We've talked about that a lot and redesign workflows to accommodate people who are working from home sometime and then working from the office sometime, redesigning your own workflow um, so that, you know, you can do deep work in the morning and shallow work in the afternoon or yada, yada. And is that, Karina, really about recognizing workers as workers and not so. workers as just machines or widgets? Yes. Really providing some options for people that allow them to kind of express their personal, to experience their personal preferences. Yes. Yeah. And to flip that. God, I just love all this. Workers perspective. I just am so happy about this. I can't even stand it. Me too. But I want to flip. Whoever thought the future would be so good. Are you done? 
I'm sorry. Can I get that out now? Uh, I want to flip that on the worker's perspective too and say that you also have the opportunity, you know, because this is a job seekers market, because the unemployment rate is so relatively low, you can start to ask for those kinds of accommodations. You know, turnover is expensive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've said this a million times. If you're a good worker, one of the greatest gifts you can give the person who who you're working for is clarity about what you need in mm. order to stay. Praise, yes. So figure yes. that out. You really do have agency. Mm-hmm. And um, you can- And exercise and it. And exercise it. Mm-hmm. You do have agency and and we want to encourage you and to exercise, exercise it. And exercise it out of a place of growth mindset, positivity, and not resentment. I mean, that's a di- that's you see what I mean? It's yes. like it's positive, right? Yeah. Like this is an opportunity. Yes. This is a great thing. Yeah. Okay, and here's the last thing that we're going to touch on that the report talks about with the so what. So what does this mean? And I love the way they phrase this too. Build personal capacity. Mm-hmm. Personal capacity in your workers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. In my in, in I would say in most of my work experience, my personal mental health approach, resilience, da da da, has always been my responsibility. Nobody has ever been at all interested in that in my in any workplace I've been in. And I love it that there is this like a hundred and eighty degree turn on that. Is that the right way? Yeah, hundred eighty degrees. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. On that in the last 20 years, Mm -hmm. because today employers are recognizing that personal capacity, also known as mental health. That's right. Is actually just like the employer provides health benefits or vacation benefits or retirement benefits. This kind of care and concern for the employee is critical. And I think it arises out of the information that they found out about the younger generation being increasingly overwhelmed. Right. Mm -hmm. But it applies to all of us. Even Richard Branson is like, you know, the days that we could ignore people's mental health are over. Yeah. There are companies that are actually giving employees a week off just to, it's your de-stress week. Yeah. What do they call it? Cleansing? <laughs> no. No, hygiene. Hygiene. Mental, mental hygiene. Health, mental health hygiene. Just like you have sleep hygiene. Now just like you floss your teeth. Mental health hygiene. Yeah. And it's all, you know, and, and, and again, taking that for yourself or working for somebody who provides it or providing it if you were in a position to do that. You know, that's that that is going to be increasingly important as we move forward. And I think this is one of the gifts of the pandemic, frankly. And some gifts come out of really hard earned suffering or, you know, whatever. But I think that managers saw during the pandemic the effect of other life stressors on workers. Yeah. And it became really clear how that affected their work. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the nuggets that we learned from the pandemic that kind of put us on this trajectory towards recognizing that people come to work as whole humans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is something that needs to be attended to just like somebody's health care or somebody's 401k. Yeah. Yeah. I just it's so there's so few times when we look at the future and information and think, wow, this is looking pretty good. Yeah. I look forward to when this settles a bit. Oh, and, for sure. And, and I think, you know, recognizing that we are in the middle of change, change and transition and disruption is always uncomfortable, but it, it, 
in this case, at least if Bain is accurate, what they're predicting is something that's slightly more, I guess, it's a brighter future for workers. I want to I want to conclude with the last two paragraphs that they had in this report, which I think kind of sums up everything, if you don't mind. Oh, I love it. One, you know, they say you're such a good summer. I'm summer a summerizer. Upper. Summer upper. Well, one is they say that, you know, the next decade is going to be one of significant experimentation around work. There's really no blank canvas. There's a lot canvas. Canvas. There is a blank canvas. There is a blank canvas for creative new approaches. There's just a ton to learn. But one thing is true, which is that being human centered is going to put you leaps and bounds ab- above your competition and it's going to create some more ease, meaning, and joy for your work. So they say firms or companies that doggedly cling to old modes of thinking will struggle to stay relevant. And I love that they said that. That is absolutely true. It's not just about salary anymore. For workers in the coming decade, it'll feel like one of ceaseless change and disruption. And I'll say it again. The top of the wave. Change and disruption is unnerving. The top of the wave is very scary. It's also exciting. Yes. Mind your mental health, mind your physical well-being, because it's not going to settle down for a while. It's more critical than ever to just really tune in to yourself, your hopes, your fears, your desires, your likes, your dislikes, and start to craft those experiences for you. And no, I think the other piece of this is know that others, well, different, share those same kinds of desires, wants, values, right? right? It's like... We're all, we're all really in this together. Yes. Right? Yes. And it is going to feel like you're at the top of the wave and it is going to be a little bit scary, but I think it's just a really exciting time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. I do too. So thanks for letting, for listening and sticking with us and letting us explore this very fascinating f- prediction. And of course, I'll put a link to the whole report, all hundred pages of it for you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks listeners. Thanks for listening folks. Ride that wave. Krina and Kirsten Get to Work is recorded and produced by yours truly, Krina Hoyer and Kirsten Barron. Find all of our episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on our website, or email us at yougettowork at gmail.com. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.